Welcome to the Books of Titans podcast, where I seek truth in the world's best books. I'm your host, Eric Rostad, coming to you from the beautiful Books of Titans studio in Franklin, Tennessee. My goal is to read 52 books per year and share what I'm learning. I'll talk a bit about each book, tie ideas together from a variety of genres, and share the one thing I always hope to remember from each book. Today I'm going to cover The Splendid and the Vile by Eric Larson, a saga of Churchill, family, and defiance during the Blitz. This is book 50 of 52 for my 2022 reading list. What is the subtitle for this one would suggest? This is a book about the Nazi bombing, the Nazi Blitz of London during the time of Churchill. The time covered is, is from May 10th, 1940, which is the day that Churchill became prime minister. And it goes through pretty much through the end of 1941 with a, a heavy focus on the early part of 1941. So in that time, London and other parts of Britain are, are regularly getting bombed by the Nazis at night by, by the air. And uh, this is referred to as, as the Blitz. Also, as stated in that subtitle, this, this book covers Churchill, so his leadership, uh, his family, so, so some love stories and different things like that going on with his family during, during these battles, and then defiance. And we see defiance both in Churchill, but then also in, in Britain uh, to, a, to a larger extent. And that was one of the words I, I thought of a lot while reading this book, defiance, but then also resilience, the, re, the resiliency of the people, and, and I'll get into that in a little bit. And then the other word uh, I kept writing in the margins was wow, and mostly because this was a lot of things that I, I, I learned a lot, and there were just so many crazy tidbits of information in this book that I, over and over, I kept writing wow. And, and I love when I do that in a book because that means I'm learning. Uh, it means it's exciting that uh, this is, these are fun things and interesting things to learn about. So uh, that, that came up quite a bit as well. And that ties into a, a weird kind of statement I need to make here at the beginning. And that's that I'm going to be giving away spoilers in this book. And that may sound like a very strange thing because we're talking about history here. It's happened. Uh, it's kind of out in the open. Yeah, every, everyone knows a lot of these things. I didn't know a lot of the the details that I learned in this book. And so that's why I say this, this spoiler thing, because uh, especially the way that Eric Larson writes this book is it, it reads like fiction, like uh, the, it, like a thriller, like there's, and uh, in, he's introducing things, and in, in you find out what happens at the end to to these people, or or the different uh, ideas and and things that he's he's introducing, and then and then talking about throughout the story. So I'll be giving away spoilers in that sense of like this is what happened to this particular person by the end. So if you don't want to to learn that, I, I would just hit pause here and and go ahead and read the read the book first. Um, so yes, it's that's strange to to give a spoiler warning for a nonfiction work, but just in the ter- in the way that Eric Larson writes, uh, you, you get that sense of you want to you want to know what happens to these people. So another uh, thing that that makes this this book very exciting. The I, I love too that Eric Larson just kept talking about Churchill's family. Uh, I mean, you, you learn a lot about Churchill, you learn a lot about his associates, but then you also learn about his family and and some of the inner demons, some of the the love stories, and and so yes, there you're in the midst of this war. You're, there there are bombings. There are, there are people dying almost nightly, and just this this sense of this all could end tomorrow. Uh, yet life goes on, and and love goes on, and and all these different things. So a lot of a lot of um, kind of side stories that weave 
in within the, the pages of this book. The title of the book comes from a statement made by John Koval, who is assistant private secretary to Winston Churchill during this time. And he also kept a diary. And, uh, and so he, he had a lot of, of uh, interesting thoughts about Churchill that, that were written down, you know, the day of or, or a day after about Churchill. So, so very fresh information. And, and he made the statement while he was, uh, was looking out the window. And this came up quite a few times in the book from different people. And, and there's just, yes, there's this horror of, of the war that's going on and, and the bombings and all that. And yet there's also this this beauty or, or this, this astonishment at, at also what, what is going on. And so sometimes that would take the, the idea of, of, of nature, like, yes, there's these bombings, but like you look past the bombs and the fires going and, and there's, there's nature or there's just this beautiful sky or something like that. So the, the contrast with war, with nature, but then also just the contrast of the, the beauty of, of the destruction too, which, which is an odd thing to say, but you're looking at a scene that where, where all these bombs are being draw, dropped, but there's these fires that kind of light the sky, and, and th- there's this odd beauty within this horrible, horrible destruction. And so John Colville is looking out his window, and, and he sees the night sky, he sees the, the, the beauty of, of the, this dark night, but then there's these just planes and, and so many planes coming over. And, and that's what you get in, in looking at the cover of this book as well. But here's the statement he made. He said, never was there such a contrast of natural splendor and human vileness. And so that's where we get the splendid and the vile, the title of this book. This is the second book I've read by Larson. In 2019, I read The, De- the Devil in the White City for, uh, for this project, for my 2019 reading list. That was another book that was hard to put down. And, and so of the two books by Larson that I've read, I, I guess the, the thing that's really neat is, yes, there's kind of this main story going on, but there's also this these other pieces going on. So, so you learn a lot. Uh, you learn about, a lot about different things, and, and they're really exciting books the way he's, he writes them. I've, I've bought a couple other Eric Larson books, so I do hope to read them at, at some point. As for reading stats, this is a 503-page book, The uh, at least the hardcover edition is, and that took me 13 hours and 50 minutes to read through it. That was over a period of 15 days, so that averaged 34 pages per day, and I read it between November 29 and December 13. So there'll be two more segments to this episode after this one. Uh, segment two, I'll cover a few interesting things that I learned, and then in segment three, I'll cover the one thing, my one key takeaway from The Splendid and the Vile. Well, if this is a book you think you would be interested in reading, I would ask you to purchase it from Landmark Booksellers in Franklin, Tennessee. I'm the business manager there, and that would be the best way that you can support this podcast. So I'll link to it in the show notes. And if you use the coupon code Books of Titans, that'll give you 10% off of this book. Real quick, one other comment here. It was very neat to read this book after reading The Viking Heart. And, and that's the book that I, I covered in last week's podcast episode. So I read Viking Heart, and then I, uh, this book was was right after that one. And in the Viking Heart, there's some parts about World War II and parts that I learned about there that, that I read about 
also in in the splendid and the vile. So I love when that happens. I love when the books are back to back like that, and and you're 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 able to take uh, the the stuff you learned from two different books, and since it was so close together, it was it was even more more memorable in that sense. So here are three things that that uh, I found interesting and, and that I learned in in this book, and the first was that that word that word resiliency, and the the defiance but but really resiliency and, and resiliency is the word that I kept writing over and over in the margins as well and, and it amazed me because I think the thing that that struck me the most was was just how life went just went on uh you you've seen that that notice um the stay calm and carry on that uh that is on all sorts of things that uh, from Britain but that that's the that's the idea you get here. Uh, there would be all night bombings, and so people are not sleeping. Uh, it's just constant noise, and there's then there's anti aircraft gun guns going off. So whether it's you're getting woken up from the bombs or the guns shooting at the planes that are bombing you, uh, you're you're up most of the night with with the noise and in fear of of a bomb hitting where you are, and by the next morning people are up. They're on their way to work. They're going to work. They're they're taking the train if the train's still running, and life just goes on. And that's such an odd thing to think about. I mean, I, if if we started getting bombed, if if my neighborhood if my neighborhood started getting bombed or my city, I I, I don't think we would just go on uh, as normal. And maybe after a while you would, you just, you would have to, to, to keep things going. And, and I'm sure a lot of people were working in industries that, that required, were required just in terms of, of weaponry and that sort of thing. But it, it was just so startling. And, and even some of the worst bombings, they'd use incendiary, incendiary bombs where it's just creating fires all over the place. And this is going on the entire night. And then it would be one of the most devastating bombing attacks by the Nazis, and then people wake up the next morning and just go about life. And that that was that was very startling and, and astonishing as I, as I wrote the or as I read this. And so I, w- I want to read just a few a few sections. Uh, and this from page four twenty nine. He went back to his own flat and tried to sleep, but after an hour, he gave up. Nearby detonations caused the buildings to shudder and sent shrapnel clattering against his windows. He climbed to his roof and there was met by the most amazing sight I've ever seen in my life. A whole section of the city north of of the financial district was a solid mass of flames, leaping hundreds of of feet into the air. I'm skipping forward a little bit here now. Nearby, nearby at Claridge's Hotel, General Lee, the American military attache, now back in London, went down to the first floor room of a member of the U.S. Embassy's diplomatic staff, Herschel Johnson. As bombs fell and fires burned, they discussed literature, mainly the works of Thomas Wolfe and Victor Hugo's novel Les Miserables. The conversation shifted to Chinese art. Herschel brought out a collection of fine porcelain objects. All this time, Lee wrote, I had the sickening feeling that hundreds of people were being murdered in a most savage way, almost within a stone's throw, and there was nothing to do about it, end quote. So just that, just that idea, you know, there's bombs going off, they're discussing literature uh, amidst these bombs. They're, I guess just at some point, they, they realized there was, there was nothing they could do, and they just tried to go on uh, as, as normal. Amazing. Second thing I learned and found very interesting was uh, the the information and stories about Rudolf Hess. And Rudolf Hess was uh, the number three guy 
in the Nazi re- regime. And he, I, I didn't know any of this. I'm, I'm sure you know this, but he flew a, so, so he, he got it to where he had his own plane and he was a, he knew how to pilot it. And he snuck in to Scotland. Like he flew from Germany to Scotland. This is a time where there's almost nightly raids from Germany. So the fact that he didn't get shot down is just first off incredible. And he was going to Scotland to get near Glasgow in attempt to meet with a certain person to broker a peace deal. So this, like Hitler did not, did not know about this. No one else know. Like he just did this on his, his own flew to Scotland, was immediately taken prisoner, prisoner. Like, I mean, he had to eject out of his plane. He land, he, he gets on the ground, um, gives a fake name, but they, they realize who he is pretty quickly and they capture him. The peace deal thing does not move forward at all, but, and, and he's imprisoned and then he, dies in prison in his 90s. Um, but just the, the whole story, the way Eric Larson writes about it, and you're like, how could, how could this have happened? Like, here's this, this high-up Nazi guy, and, and he lands in Scotland. And then, and then there's someone in England who has a dream about, about something like this happening, and a high-ranking official landing in, in, um, in England. And it's just, it's just crazy, but I didn't know any of that history. Uh, but it's amazing, and that but he, he this has spent the rest of his life in prison and, and died in prison there as well. Now the final thing that that stood out to me and, and that I learned in this book was just this odd thing with with Goebbels, the an, a, another high ranking in in the person in charge of propaganda for for the Nazis, and he was he was super concerned about moral decay while he was part of this atrocity of of decimating a whole group of people and, and killing millions of people. He was concerned about the moral decay happening in Germany, especially with uh, strip dancers. And so he didn't mind the whole murdering of millions of people, but he was very concerned about this this other thing. And it was just so odd to read that. And uh, it, I, 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 it comes up a lot in the books and it, it's just a, I, I don't know, like the, y- y- you watch some movies or read some books and the evil person is absolutely evil. And there's just this like abandonment of all morality. And it's just, you know, all the way, they're just all the way evil. But that's not how, that's not how it is like that's not how people are and most of the people committing these just atrocious acts they don't necessarily think that they're doing evil they they've got some sort of a moral thing going on in their head like that they're that they they've they're doing the right thing or 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 they're on the right path and and that's even scarier like that that's not that's not comforting. It's almost easier to imagine people just being absolute evil. There's the complete abandonment of morality, but but that's not the case. And and this was just such an odd thing to read about uh, with a high-ranking Nazi, and he's concerned about strip dancers while murdering millions of people. That's just it, it's hard to even fathom that going on in someone's head, but but it did. And you, you read about it in, in this book. Hey, 
Now on to segment three and the one thing, my one key takeaway from The Splendid in the Vile. Well, the cool thing about this book is that you're, you're getting a number of different vantage points and you're, you're, you're hearing and seeing what some of the top leadership for the Nazis, what they were writing in their journals, uh, their private thoughts, not just what they were sharing with, with others, but their, but their own private thoughts. You're getting that on the, the British side as well. You're, you're getting a lot of uh, this, this information and then just all put together. And what, what you see is that the defiance of Churchill was a huge factor in this war. It, it, it wasn't expected. So especially after France fell, the, the Nazis thought Britain would do the same, that they would just, they would seek a peace arrangement and, and it would be easy. It would be over very quickly. And Churchill from day one said, no, uh, I, I believe Eric Larson talks about one part where Churchill kind of gave thought to this this potential for trying to broker a peace with the Nazis, but it was just once and, and that was it. All the other times it was speaking of victory. It was speaking of no surrender. And there was a defiance that they were not going to back down. If you bomb us, we will bomb you. And that defiance shifted the whole war. And it shifted, you, you see it over and over in this book, it shifted the, the Nazi mindset. Like they, they were not expecting this. They, they, they thought they could just kind of roll over everyone. And here's a man saying no. And he did it from the beginning. He stood by that. He set that boundary and just, he stuck with it. And it changed everything. I, I think I think about uh, Zelensky now in 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 Ukraine, and no matter what you think about him, uh, his defiance changed the game for Russia. I don't think they were expecting that, and Zelensky had a ticket out. I think the U.S. said they would they would fly him out, and he said and he said no, and that changed everything. And so you, you you have this you have this idea of of a person saying no to. What seems like an, an, an inevitable loss, he says, "No, we're, I'm, I'm sticking. I'm sticking here. We're we're going to fight to the last person." And that that just changed everything. All these other countries are falling like dominoes around Germany, but Britain held strong. And you see, you see the toll in this book. You see the bombings. You see the devastation. You see the lives lost. You, are, you read descriptions of, of what, what it was like. I can't even imagine, but you, you're reading about this. I, I thought a lot about book one that I read this year, On Reading Well, by Karen Swallow Pryor. And she talks about the virtues, and she talks how a virtue is, is, is kind of a middle point. It's a balance between two extremes. So if, you, if you're thinking of Churchill as a courageous person. Well, the virtue is courage, but on either side of that virtue, there's there's one side that goes to cowardice, and then there's the other side that would go to recklessness. And you 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 know this about Churchill, like he would go on the roof during during bombings, and he would watch it. And I'm I'm, I'm going to read a, a section here just in in a minute, but where where they talk a little bit about that. And so you could look at that, and and you could say that that was very reckless. That was not that was not courageous, but that was reckless. But I like to think that that was that was more 
courage. And he would go after a bombing, he would go to the place at, at great personal risk to him. He would go to the place that had just been bombed to, to be there with the people and to talk to, to them. And that courage was a turning point as well. So you've got the defiance first off, and that's my one thing, just that this defiance of Churchill and how that shifted everything. But then you've got, you've got his courage that that's part of that defiance. And, and it's probably the main force behind that defiance. And so uh, while I was reading it, I thought of, of a couple of what if scenarios. And the, the, the first what if scenario is, is one that a lot of people have, have thought about. But the other one was uh, something that I just thought about, uh, especially in, in thinking about On Reading Well by, by Karen Swallow Pryor. So the first what if scenario is, is you know, Churchill's kind of, he, he appears to be reckless. So he's going up on, on buildings during bombings, you know, one, one bomb would have taken him out. So what if Churchill had been killed by one of these bombs? The thinking on the Nazi side is that a weaker leader, a weaker prime minister would have, would have taken his place, that the Nazis could have then done a, a quote, peace deal with, and then th- that would have neutralized Britain. So someone else would have done a, a deal with Hitler. So what would history have been like? So that's the what if scenario. What would history have been like had had Britain capitulated and a weak prime minister had come in? What if? So that's what if number one. But but here's here's another what if to, to consider. What if just that defiance and that courage that Churchill showed, what if that increased the level of courage in his country to where, had he been killed, a, the, the overall courage in the country would have made leaders of, of higher courage, would have led to a country of higher courage, to where a replacement would have had the same courage that Churchill had. What if just that risking of his, his self, what if that was a very humble way of saying, I know I'm not the only person, and I, I don't know if Churchill thought this. I, I, but but what if what if that was more of a just that showing that courage inspired an entire country and a, an entire people to where if he had been killed, then then someone else would have of would have would have stepped up with that with that increased level of courage, just by encouraging them, uh, giving them courage by his actions, what if that changed the game? As opposed to him just sitting in a bunker, you know, doing everything way underground and not 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 having that same level of, of courage in that sense. Would that have, on, on the other hand, weakened the country to where had he been killed, then it was likely that that no one would have, have had the courage that he had in his place. It's just a fun thing to think about. You know, like if somebody is defiant like that, they say no, and that inspires other people in a like manner. Does that just kind of raise the overall level of courage for a country? And is that the reason that Britain as a whole was defiant? As, as I said in the beginning, yes, the defiance, the word, it can be, it can be said about Churchill, but then it, it also applied to, to Britain. It applied to their resiliency. They're, they're continuing on. They're, they're going on with life. They're staying calm and carrying on. What if what if that was all kind of started from that that courage of Churchill? Just a fun thing to think about. Let me read this uh, really quickly. This is page four hundred five. So a few parts here. 
and this is when there's some there's some people from the U.S. there at this point who are are with Churchill. And uh, so here we go. Dinner proceeded as if no raid were occurring. After the meal, Biddle told Ch- Churchill that he would like to see for himself the strides which London had made in air raid pre- precautions. At which point. Churchill invited him and Harriman to accompany him to the roof. The raid was still in progress. Along the way, they put on steel helmets and collected John Colville and Eric Seal so that they too, as Colville put it, could watch the fun. Churchill and his helmeted entourage stayed on the roof for two hours. All the while, Biddle wrote in a letter to President Roosevelt, he received reports at various intervals from the different sections of the city hit by the bombs. It was intensely interesting. End quote. So yeah, you know, Churchill just go uh, on the roof at at different times to watch watch these bombs, uh, keeping an eye on on how things are going, getting reports on on what's happening. But he was not in the bunker where he could have easily been. But he was he was up there on top, and I think that that courage and that leadership inspired a nation. So to recap, this is a very exciting and informative book about a roughly one and a half year time period of World War II. This would actually make a great holiday gift. I gave this to my dad last year, and he really enjoyed this book. Uh, but if you need a good gift idea, this, this, this is a fun and exciting book. Uh, at its core, it's a book about resiliency and defiance. So what do you do in the midst of overwhelming odds that are stacked against you, stacked against your country, against your, your company, against your family? And then how does courage in a leader inspire those around him or her? Is a leader's primary role to do it all themselves, or is it to be thinking about how to inspire others to take on the mantle should they no longer be around? There's a lot of neat questions that just come up as you're as you're reading this, but but yeah, just that one thing that sticks out above all is the courage of Churchill and how that transformed the nation, how it intimidated the Nazis that thought that this was just going to be easy. Uh, one thing I wish the book had was photos. I mean, obviously you can get on Google and, and see them, but I, I just like when photos are in the books to know who you're reading about. Uh, so to, to see photos of the people that are, are the main people in the book, but then also just to see photos of maybe the planes that, that are being talked about or or the um, the aftermath, you know, seeing, seeing buildings bombed out. There was one photo at the very beginning of the book. And and I actually liked this photo a lot because it's, it's a photo of three, three men standing in a room full of books and they're looking at the books and there's just a pile of, of material in the middle of the room. There's just books strewn all over the floor. And yet there's still a number of books on the shelves and then there's no roof to the building. So the roof's been bombed out. But life goes on. It just shows that resiliency. There, there's this desire for books, for literature, for, for reading amidst this like horror of the war. So it was a perfect image to, to show there, but uh, I do wish there had been books throughout or, or photos throughout the book as well. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you, especially if you've read The Splendid in the Vile. You can email me at eric at booksoftitans.com. Please buy this book from the link in the show notes. 
uh, and then use Books of Titans for 10% off. You can follow follow me at Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter. And you can also go to the website and see a lot of, of uh, information about creating a reading list. You can see my past reading lists and just some, some helpful tips on on reading and remembering what you read. I'll be back in a week or two to discuss another book from this year's reading project and 2022 reading list. Until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out.